Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Alexis DeSalvo Kaler, Senior Analyst of Retail and E-Commerce here at Mintel. I'm joined today by two analysts to discuss the upcoming International Women's Day, which has become a much bigger event in recent years for not only women, but brands and consumers. So before we get started, uh, let's begin with a quick round of introductions. Everyone, excited to be here. I am Diana Kelter, a senior trends analyst um, in Mintel's US-based office. My job at Mintel is to really look at the consumer categories we represent and analyze what those broader uh, macro consumer trends are. My name is Lauren Goodset. I am a senior global beauty analyst at Mintel, and I am responsible for looking at beauty trends across the world and providing our clients implications of those beauty trends. A quick disclaimer before we jump into the episode, Lauren's audio is a little harder to hear. Apologies for any inconvenience. Well, thank you both for being here. I don't think, obviously no one can see me, but I'm smiling. I'm very excited to have both of you here today. And I guess I should start by saying happy Women's Day. Thank you. And for a little bit of history, I kind of want to start there, but for a little bit of history, I was digging around and doing some research and it turns out, looks like the first Women's Day was observed here in New York City, um, where I'm based, back in the early 1900s. And obviously throughout the years, it's been um, acknowledged and observed in different ways globally. But to me, I feel like it's only been in the last few recent years that it seems like it's become a much bigger thing. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with social media. Um, But I really kind of wanted to just start there, Diana, with you, since you're the trends expert to kind of figure out why has it become so significant for both the brands and the consumer? Totally. Um, I definitely think you hit the nail on the head bringing up the social media component, obviously, um, that just creates awareness for so many things on a broader level. But it's interesting. We actually have a trend at Mintel called the unfair sex. And this trend, we launched it uh, or started tracking uh, content around it around 2012. And for all of our trends, we feature a trend history. So every six months, it just provides a brief summary of like what was happening at that time, what were the big events that were shaping that trend. And I looked back all the way to 2012 to see what we were talking about. Um, And the trend is covered globally. So it really provided that global lens. And what was interesting to me is a lot of the topics that were being discussed around women's rights in 2012 um, are still being talked about today. So we were were seeing conversations around women getting involved in STEM, um, obviously more equal pay. Um, We were seeing the conversation about women's reproductive rights and how brands were engaging in that space and employers. And then when we look to the most recent trend history, um, we were seeing internationally, those conversations were still very top of mind. So I think it is interesting um, that, you know, conversations don't um, always shift as fast as we think. And so progress is always a little bit slower than we would like. Um, But it doesn't mean those conversations disappear. And if anything, what we're seeing is they are just becoming more and more robust, um, more more uh, conversations are generated from unlikely spaces, which always pushes it further. It's not just those expected brands or those expected employers pushing forward in those ways. So I do think um, that was really interesting to me, how we, how we see the conversation evolve, but also stay the same. 
It's interesting and a little depressing. (laughs) um, I mean, I live in this world where 2012 doesn't sound like it was that long ago. And I guess in the grand scheme of women's rights, it's not. Um, But you'd still like to believe that more progress has been made in almost nine years. Um, But that also reminds me of something Lauren had shared with us ahead of this reporting, um, that video on the history of pockets in in clothing. Yeah, who knew pockets could be so sexist? Um, I thought it was interesting because without divulging all of that, that'd be a whole nother podcast. Um, it's really kind of harkens back to this myth that women didn't have the same amount of purchase power that men did. And obviously that we know that that's not true and that's certainly changing, but I think the current situation has really brought up some new issues, um, for women in particular. So Lauren, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, we talked, you know, about the pockets. I think we all found that really interesting. Women's pockets mm-hmm. weren't made as deep as men's pockets. Um, so, you know, uh, and still are not. But what what I really noticed is kind of a recent resurgence of feminism. And we have this whole new wave of women joining in on the feminist movement. And I think if you look back in history, you really see that it does kind of come and go in waves. And I know the three of us previously talked about when the Women's March happened four years ago, and that that really ignited something in many women to say, we need to stand up for our gender. We need to fight for our rights. We need to understand reproductive rights more. We need to work for equal pay. Um, And it really shed this light on the discrepancies between the two genders. And I think helped an entire other generation of women to say, this is our fight that we now need to take on. I think the the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that also really Mm -hmm. shed a lot of light, Mm -hmm. just kind of looking back at her life and what she fought for. And for women who may not have been as familiar with her, it really brought about that we need to continue that fight in our everyday lives, in our individual purchases, looking at the brands and the products that we as women support. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too, because I feel like, especially with RBG, when she passed away, I think there was a lot of merch or, or people were like looking for merch. I saw a lot that kind of popped up like on my Instagram feed. And I feel like suddenly everyone was like wearing the collar or like a sweatshirt, like all, like a lot of stuff. And we were kind of talking about this earlier about how, you know, now that it's become our job, it's not our mom's jobs anymore. And like the torch has kind of passed to, to the next generation. How do we show our feminism or kind mm-hmm. of, you know, like wear it almost. Um, and I mm-hmm. think there's almost an opportunity for um, brands to, to kind of get into that space a little bit more there we were talking about this earlier about looking for like feminist sweatshirts or like something cute like that and they're really yes there are certainly um i think there are some brands who really do it more or, or better than others um and i think that that's just kind of like part of their brand identity there's a lot of um brands that are involved in like the female founder collective and that there's a lot of merchandise there but i think it's very it's very siloed and you kind of have to look for it um oh go ahead Diane. I was just going to say, I think it's interesting and a great point that Lauren brought up, uh, RBG and the shift that had, because I think it builds off of a trend we've previously talked about, the three of us, um, about how we're seeing Instagram conversation change around feminism, um, because a lot of in 
previous years we saw the boss babe or girl boss trends occurring and we're seeing the can't say that anymore <laughs> exactly because we're just bosses just bosses <laughs> just bosses and i think what was interesting when we saw um the death of rbg is because she was such an honored and strong woman it almost felt offensive to call her a gir- girl boss no one was going to speak to like a supreme court justice that way and so the ways they people were honoring her were much more in tone with what she represented and so i think that she shift was already happening, but I think just what, for what she stood for and what she worked for, it just, it brought a more serious tone. And I think that Instagram as a whole, we're seeing that shift where it's less about just a catchy aesthetic or a catchy Instagram um, hashtag. And it's more about purposeful intent. And I think the other piece with Instagram is this idea of self-acceptance. And so it's kind of accepting who you are as a woman, all of those different parts, but really embracing what makes you female, what makes you feminine. And I know this week alone, I've seen several influencers posting about body image and maybe they've gained a little bit of weight during COVID and just kind of highlighting all those horrible comments that some of their followers are putting out there and saying, you should go back to editing your photos. You look like you're pregnant. You you know look like you've gained so much weight. Have you gotten fillers in your face? And this week, particularly, I think they've really come out strong and said, look at these horrific comments that people feel okay saying to a woman that, would you say this to a man? Probably not. Of course not. Um, And so I do think that I know we can talk about all of the bad effects that social media has had on women and how we feel about ourselves. But on the other side of that conversation, it really does shed light on those issues. And we're able to kind of reach a wider community and saying, this is not okay. We need to change the conversation even something as simple as we need to move away from the boss bitch or the girl boss um, and move towards really kind of speaking about women in a different way. Mm -hmm. So really, Lauren, it's almost about like changing the narrative. And I feel like that's kind of where social media, yes, there are bad sides to it. But again, I think it goes back to Women's Day has, I don't want to say had a resurgence, but I think it's had like a renewed celebration or observance because I think a lot of brands are trying to change the narrative and use social to really push for change and connect with their customers in a different way, um, in a hopefully deeper way. So in that vein, can either of you think of any uh, brands or businesses that you think have really done a good job of connecting with women and speaking to women either in the past for Women's Day or um, just now with all of like the changes and like we mentioned earlier, the especially the increased pressure on women um, during this time? So we've definitely seen a huge push in the beauty industry in support of female founded brands. And several years ago at Mintel, we had a trend called Campaign Capital. And in that trend, we really said that it's the brand's responsibility to show their true selves and to have more than just the products that they're selling, have something for women or for consumers overall to support. And we've seen that come through so strongly in this concept of female-founded brands. And I could list out many female-founded beauty brands, um, Briagio as one, Uma Beauty, who I'll talk about later, Topical, Summer Fridays, Huda, Fenty way, you know, the list goes on. And these are brands that may have in the past, we might not have heard as much about their female founders, but that's really front and center right now. And that's an extra push for the consumer to buy products from them because they're from women, you want to support your gender. Um, and so you have that extra reason to purchase. 
Yeah, that's so true. And one thing I've seen interesting in our trends coverage, and this kind of circles back to what I said at the beginning, how it's we're seeing more brands engage in women's rights from places you might not expect. And I think one thing we've been tracking that I think does uh, essentially layer back up to women being engaged in spaces they don't have voices or feeling more confident is a lot of trends we've seen around um, period hygiene or just menstruation as a whole and removing the taboo around that. And yeah. one thing I thought was really interesting was uh, Pantone. Um, that's pronounced correctly, right? Yeah. <laughs> and by that, it's the colors. They like yes. dictate the colors yes. for the trends. Yes. Not, the, not the hair care company, but... Um, that's they, Pantene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know we wrote an observation how they launched a period red color, and it was all about removing the stigma. And I think we don't automatically connect those topics or those... Uh, pushes and awareness towards the women's rights movement, but they do because they create more confidence. If women feel comfortable in their own skin and don't have these taboos, that's only going to make them feel more confident in the spaces they show up. So I think all those uh, aspects really layer up to women's rights and feeling empowered. I think Diana too, even the way that we see some care brands promoted in commercials on TV has really mm-hmm. shifted. Yes, and it's become totally. less about hiding your tampon when you're going to the bathroom mm-hmm. and more about, yes, I'm a woman, you know, uh, this Embracing happens to it. me monthly, I'm going to embrace it and everyone else is just going to have to deal with that. And that is a huge shift from where the conversation was a few years ago. Totally. So maybe we have made more more progress than we think. Um, Well, with that in mind, since we are recording ahead of Women's Day, um, we can't obviously share any examples of brands we think are doing something interesting this year because it's not really out yet. Um, Can you think of or share some thoughts about what each of you would like to see maybe from a campaign specifically for not necessarily just for Women's Day, but just how you would like to see um, brands address and connect with the female consumer today right now? I think it is really important for brands to give back. And so as great as it is that they're female founded, the ones that really stand out to me are the ones that go a step further. So in donating to different causes, if it's Planned Parenthood or, you know, various women's causes that they feel strongly about, I think really setting that precedent and saying a percentage of our proceeds are going to that or here are the way that we are involved as founders in our community. And that idea of trying to give back and help that next generation of women to Mm -hmm. grow up with the idea that they can be founders of companies. They, you know, have the world at their fingertips and really just changing, changing that narrative, even from when we were younger to something even greater in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. I think setting the stage for the next generation and I think this word is so overused, the authentic word, because it can be <laughs> such a, a superficial word. But I do think it is helpful when female founders or women who have founded their own companies and have that influence, like when we think of Ty Haney from Outdoor Voices or Emily Weiss at Glossier, when they use their influence to not only show the success they've had, but also the struggles they've had. Because I think when we think of social media, it gives young girls, especially sometimes this false impression that things are easy, like they just woke 
woke up one morning and became this successful founder. And there's so many layers to get to that place. And the work doesn't end now that they founded a company. They still like we've seen with Taihani. She's Mm -hmm. had a lot of struggles. Um, And so I do think I like when they show that authentic side and are real and don't just try to hide or not hide, but just only show the uh, things that are pretty to see or fun to see. Because I think it only helps people realize that it does take hard work and a lot of struggles to get to that success. Absolutely. I think we'd be remiss not to each mention some women in particular. I know we've just kind of talked about a few examples, but um, I'd love to just get a little bit more into detail on how each one of us can spotlight um, a woman that we admire um, and why. So I'll start. um, Since I cover the apparel and accessories space, I think it's only fitting that I pick a woman in that industry. So um, I think that Claire V, the handbag designer, Claire Vivier, she does a really good job of, I think, to your point, Diana, remaining authentic, um, but understanding who her consumer is and not only what they're buying, but also what else do they want. And to your point, Lauren, um, including that like charitable tie-in. Um, so she has really kind of built her business around community-driven retail. She's based out of LA and she employs a lot of local workers. Um so really helps to, you know, contribute to her local community. But she also has a lot of charitable tie-ins. And so she really embraces that mission-driven retail as well. Um, and instead of just, you know, supporting whatever, there's a lot of thought in that. Her audience is mostly female. Um, and there she is a mother. And there are a lot of mothers in her core consumer group. So a lot of her tie-ins have that in mind. Um, she partners with Every Mother Counts and Every Town for Gun Safety. So it really just speaks to really understanding the consumer and And then that helps them have a deeper connection to her brand because they can relate to it on a personal basis. So that's my pick. Who wants to go next? I can go next. <laughs> and I, I promised uh, we would fit Bridgerton into this conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how can we yeah, forget? Yeah. The Netflix so, show for uh, anyone yes. who hasn't seen it. Yes, exactly. So I have to give a shout out yeah. to Shonda Rhimes. Such um, a good one. I, I just think she, she emphasizes everything we're talking about. Like she's really been this voice and this um, people, women, really anyone can look up to, um, but especially women in demanding their worth um, and not settling for anything less than that. And I think it just sets a great tone for really um, anyone in that position who maybe thinks is afraid to ask for what they want or thinks they'll, you know, they're just, they should just settle for things. And I think just the success she's seen with Bridgerton on Netflix shows that she was accurate in mm-hmm. um, with her worth. So I think she's just a great example of everything we're talking about. Yeah. And I, I think my example actually plays off well coming off of you, Diana. Um, so mine is Sharon Shooter. She started Uma Beauty, who if you're unfamiliar with, it is a color cosmetics brand. So the brand itself is inspired by Nigerian heritage, and it really is a brand that is products for people who have been left out. So she looked at the industry and she said in 2017 is really when we saw that shift of color cosmetics brands saying we need to have a greater range of shades for consumers to pick from. But why I'm highlighting her is because she, of course, lives and breathes that within her own brand. But she also started the Pull Up for Change organization, which in beauty, that was, uh, it's an organization that encourages beauty companies to reveal how many Black employees and how many employees of color they have. Um, So she's really, you know, gone beyond just supporting women and looking at kind of these other really important areas that we all need to be aware of and more 
hyper-focused in, in within the beauty community and as within kind of the whole consumer realm as well. Those are great examples. Thank you both. Um, I should also mention, because I think we've we've spoken about a lot of female founders or female-founded businesses, we do have a female-founded series on the Mintel blog. So if listeners want to know more or find other examples of some interesting female leaders, um, you should definitely check out our blog. Um, so to wrap up, I can't believe we're already wrapping up. It goes so quickly. (laughs) But I would love for each of you to just share a a key takeaway that you think brands, businesses should consider um, when speaking to or trying to connect with female consumers today. And I know a lot of this is kind of all in the same overarching theme, but like final takeaway, most important thing. Lauren, do you want to go first? Sure. I mean, I think Diana already said it, this idea of authenticity and you can't just slap a this is for women's day on your products, on your brand. And it really has to be who you are as a company and brand. I know a lot of the big beauty brands have been criticized for not having women at the top, right? They're creating beauty products. The majority of them are for women and then they don't have many women who are on their executive boards. So really kind of looking inwards, looking at your brand, looking at your company and saying, how can we give women more representation in an area uh, categories where it is predominantly women who are purchasing these products? So that idea of authenticity through your marketing, but also through who you have working at the top levels there. Yeah, making the decisions. Mm -hmm. Such a good point. Yep. Diana? Yeah, I would I would just build off of that with a topic we talk about um, in our rights trend driver. Um, so within this uh, trend, we talk about how activism is becoming a lifestyle and not just for women's rights, but just activism as a whole for social justice, for sustainability, all these different um, components that consumers are really putting their dollars towards. And that's shaping how they shop with brands, how they think about um, what they engage with. And I think what is a concern as activism becomes a lifestyle, we saw this happen with well-being, it can lose intent, it can lose focus when it's just this broad lifestyle. And so I think it really will put brands in a a place where they have to know what expertise they're bringing to whatever um, topic they're focusing on, whether it is women's rights or a different cause, they have to know what expertise they're bringing to the table. Otherwise, it'll just get lost and it'll just seem like a Instagram post that's just trying to tack on to something else. So I think like with what Pantone did, they use their influence to bring to light a very specific topic. So I think as activism does become, does become a broader lifestyle, brands need to focus in on what specifically they can do so that it doesn't become inauthentic. So it sounds like it's not only about considering women externally on the consumer side, but involving women internally Mm -hmm. um, with those key decisions. Great. Well, thank you both so much. This has been a great episode. Um, Thank you all for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We look forward to chatting again in the next episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are, and what we do, head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. You can find Find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Thanks for listening.